0: Cherry, i remember a time when i was early in sobriety that we were out at a bar i don't remember it was maybe it was our friend that plays in a band i think that's what it was we were out watching our friend who plays in a band oh yeah their group perform. and we had
1: the other couple with us or the
0: Yeah, and and but there were also lots of couples there that we knew, you know, kind of knew a little bit. Same
1: friend group, same friend group, not from different schools.
0: And I remember specifically talking with one guy that I think I had actually coached his daughter in soccer, so I knew him a little bit, but not a ton. And I had I was early enough in sobriety that it was really important to me to not stand out as being. Uh, sober. Like I was, I was ashamed of it. I was hiding my sobriety and I, there was a loud crowded bar and I had gone up to the bar and ordered you a drink and I ordered myself soda, water with a lime. And I, I remember specifically asking him to put it in a short glass, like a nine ounce glass. Cause then it would look like a gin and tonic. And I asked, I remember he handed it to me and I asked if I could have one of those stir sticks. And he looked at me like, What are you stirring, you loser? There's nothing in there to stir. The
1: lime juice and the lime pulp.
0: Well, that's what I was thinking. But so he gives me the straw. So anyway, so I'm drinking this gin and tonic looking soda with a lime. And this, this guy and I start conversing. And again, it's someone I know but don't know super well. And I remember he was drinking it like an IPA. And it was my drink of choice back when I drank. And he his breath was really sour and gross. And we were it was a loud bar, so we were really close to each other so we could hear each other. And he's like spit screaming (laughs) in my face. Yeah. And it was really I was like, it's so this is amazing to me. I drank for twenty-five years, right? Heavy. I had no idea how gross and sour you had no beer idea breath how smelled. Gross and
1: disgusting I didn't anymore. know what
0: beer breath smelled like after two and a half decades of having. Constant you also beer don't.
1: Breath. Ha- I mean, does this does your sense of smells turn off when you drink? How could you not smell it on your other friends?
0: I think it's because it's like in your mouth, and probably I guess because it's like on screws your tongue, into your own you know, nostrils, your taste buds. I don't know why. I don't know why, but at this particular moment, holy cow, could I smell it. And and he was also slurring a little bit. He wasn't like super drunk or anything, but, you know, it just wasn't all <laughs> coming out smoothly. And I, I sat there thinking, you know, I wasn't even listening to what he was talking about because I'm like, God, is this what it's like for people who don't drink to interact with people who do? Is this what it was like for people to interact with Yes.
1: Me? Yes, it is.
0: And it... Put in mind for me how painful it is to socialize sober. Mm. And when I talk about it being painful to socialize sober, that can mean a lot of things, honestly. And we're going to talk about some of those today. But one of the things, obviously, that comes to mind is this concept of if you're the only one sober, Mm -hmm. in a group of people that are drinking, that's rough. And certainly in, in that early kind of raw stage of sobriety for me I was embarrassed that I wasn't drinking but even when you get past that it still sucks to socialize sober with a bunch of drinking people not that you care at that point not that you care what they think about your lack of drinking or they but, smell but you're <laughs> like they stink and they they're slurring and this isn't fun you know yeah. what I mean right and you do know what I mean I mean you're yeah. you're you're giving me this look like, yes, I know what you mean, because I did it for a long time. You know, when I first quit drinking, we've talked about this many times before, but you, I, I insisted that you be our designated drinker.
1: The new DD. The
0: new TD. I didn't want us to be this couple that's just this teetotaler couple. You know how much I hate the word teetotaler. Yes. I didn't want us to look like you know, you and I are very religious, but I didn't want to still like a bunch of well, Bible beaters.
1: Yeah, well, that's part of it, too, is, like, people, like, I think that now that we say we don't drink, I think because, you know, I work at a church, we're very involved with our church, I think it's because they think it's all Christianity. But let me tell you, there's a lot of drunk Christians out there, too. So. Heck
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm like, and don't put that on, you know, religion.
0: Yeah, I mean, but that, the Bible's
1: full of wine drinking.
0: But that's the way it feels, yeah. And, and that's the way some people think of of it. Yeah. Oh, they don't drink. Oh, and they're they're involved. And they, in they go to church? church. Well, that's yeah. That's got to be why. Yeah, it must not be that terrible decade of alcoholism <laughs> that almost killed them both. Yeah, that can't be it. It's got to be just that their religious beliefs. Yeah. So so early on, you were our designated drinker. Which I'm so not
1: a great drinker. I mean. I have hangovers. Right. So, me being the designated drinker was also like, are you kidding?
0: But but you know what's interesting about it? It's not the first time in our life that we had a designated drinker. Th- this is how pervasive alcohol is in society. You, you can't not drink at a social event or something's wrong. If you're not drinking, either you're an alcoholic <laughs> or you're ultra-religious or you're pregnant. Yeah. Earlier in our our time together earlier in our marriage, we, when we would go places and you were early pregnant and you didn't want anyone to know you were pregnant yet because you don't talk about it when you're that early on. Yeah. You, you know, you would, if you were in certain situations, you would like hold a drink in your hand or you would take one when it was handed to you, but then you would somehow shuffle it to me so that I would drink it and you wouldn't have to because you couldn't drink. Yeah. And I remember one particular, I mean, maybe it only happened once. Because I remember this one time that we were in a, we were at a college football tailgate oh, and Jello shots. I will give some details about the tailgate because <laughs> it was hilarious. We were going with a bunch of my work friends, and the guy who was organizing it. I mean, he's a partier like I was. Mm. He was serious about it. Now, a lot of Big Ten football games start at noon. For whatever reason, that's just their de- tradition. They start early at noon, and this one was in Minnesota. And it was starting at noon.
1: And it was late in Minnesota's the Minnesota's
0: really far west in the central time zone. So it stays light really late into the evening. But guess what? The sun doesn't come up until like 10 yeah. o'clock in the morning or something like that. Yeah. So we started. Game. We started tailgating in the dark. I mean, it's one you know, it's one thing to feel bad about drinking in the morning, but it's another thing entirely when you're drinking in the so early morning that the sun hasn't even come up yet. Well,
1: and it was super snowy too. So cold. so it was gray. It was gray. So and I don't think cold. there could have been any sun to shine. Yeah. So that is. I mean, I don't want to sound pathetic, but yeah, the the morning didn't seem to. The day didn't break.
0: Right. It seemed yes. But so there so we are partying weird. and you were pregnant and you didn't want anyone to know. So every time they would pass the jello shots around, you would take one and then you would you know, shuffle it over to me somehow. So I was drinking for two that day. You were which, drinking for two. Yeah, you were eating for two and I was drinking for two. Yeah. That was not a particularly good outcome because the Minnesota played in a dome at the time. And after four hours of tailgating in the cold outside in the parking lot, we went drinking. Into that, oh,
1: where the cold is kind of keeping you alert. Yeah, I wouldn't we went say into sober, but you were definitely more alert.
0: And just passed out in the first quarter of the football game. And I wasn't alone either. No, I wasn't the only one. Who <laughs>
1: I think out. I was the only one awake. It was like I was the only one sober, and I was the only for one for a
0: noon football <laughs> game. It wasn't like it was ten o'clock. And it was at night. like
1: settled in in the warm, and then like yeah,
0: yeah, yeah that's. That's embarrassing. But the point of that story is that as a pregnant person, you know, you couldn't just say, I'm not drinking today because I don't feel like drinking today. Everyone would be like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? What's wrong with you? Are you an alcoholic or are you pregnant? Those are the only options. Mm -hmm. You can't just not drink. What is that? Not when we were in our 20s.
1: Yeah, because this was something that we had done the prior year as that big same group.
0: And oh, I so did the group drink. group had expectations. Yeah. So I Sherry's did drink. Sherry's a drinker. She, yeah. She'll be drinking.
1: Except I ended up driving home one of the trucks. And I was like, I, no, I can't believe I did that. But.
0: Well, yeah. The, but the yeah the point is, it's just socializing sober is like so hard. So hard. So those are a couple of the reasons, you, you know, stinky beer slurry guy is all up in your face. And you're like, oh, this is awful. And then, you know, you, you, you got to pretend like you're drinking when you're pregnant because there's no other possible reason why you wouldn't be drinking. And I know in early sobriety, I pretended like I was drinking a few times. I I would, you know, order a non-alcoholic beer and pour it in a glass before anyone could look at the bottle and then walk around with my mm-hmm. beer. I remember being at a party at least once, like a neighborhood party where I, I took a beer And then I went to the bathroom, poured it down the drain, filled it with water, and then I did that throughout the night. So I walked around with a beer bottle in my hand. I mean, that's pathetic. It's so sad that we have to... Well, and I
1: know when you were doing the non-alcoholic beers, you tried to find ones that looked most like a beer bottle. Yeah. Because we knew we were going to be around a fire pit in the dark, and so you knew that you could get away with it if you had, like, your own six-pack of cooler unpacked and kind of hold your hand on the label. Yeah. We kind of remember sizing that up in the store.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, one thing that's happened to you though over the years is you've gotten over all of this. You you have a lot of self-confidence. I mean, I know I know that you would argue that in some ways you don't have a lot of self-confidence, but in this one way as it relates to alcohol, am I stating this correctly? You don't care what anybody thinks anymore. You don't you don't go to social events and if, you know, you don't you don't drink anymore and you don't go to social events and then feel bad because you're not drinking. You don't give a rip, do you?
1: No, and I would say that I mostly didn't give a rip before. It was you who cared.
0: Yeah. And
1: cared a lot. Except
0: for the pregnant tailgate.
1: That yeah, just because we didn't, we just knew
0: that we would get lots of
1: you know like come on, come on, do one, do one,
0: do one. Well, yeah. that that's another that point. that peer pressure. That's another point. That peer pressure is unavoidable. So it's not only is it embarrassment, or I don't want to talk about my pregnancy, but it's also they're just going to hound you.
1: Right, and then I'd have to just you know, yeah. So, but I, you're I and I like,
0: brazen enough that you don't you don't that peer pressure. But doesn't I think bother maybe it was anymore. because
1: yeah, and I think maybe. I think maybe it didn't really bother me when I wasn't drinking because all I had to do was kind of point to you. Be like, one of us needs to stay sober. You know, so like I always felt like I had a mission and a reason and an excuse and I didn't have to have, you know, but I also, so that built built up my expectations. So now, like, if somebody asks me, are you going to have a drink? I'll be like, no. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, and if I get a couple questions, I don't mind being like, I just... Don't drink anymore.
0: We're older enough that I think it's you know less peer pressure-y, right? Right. I mean, when you're in your 20s and you don't drink, or even your 30s, you're going to get a lot more questions. There's also a, a male female yeah aspect to this. No Let's question. Say, there's about definitely
1: it. male female, and I think with you, you know, being out loud about your sobriety,
0: well, it's no issue for me because I'm that, out loud about it.
1: That so many of our our um social networks are connected, you know, like I don't really have a whole lot of people that don't know you, but I do have people that ask me even, oh, well, Matt, I know Matt doesn't drink, but do you still drink? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and it's probably easier just because a female.
0: Yeah. And I don't know why that is, but I think it's very true. Yeah, I, think well, it's I think it's very, it's very true. masculine. Oh, have a beer. Oh, come home, have a beer. Well, I think women are just more likely to mature. Than men are. I mean, men men can go their whole lives without ever maturing. Yeah. I mean, I'm living proof of that yeah. to some degree. I will
1: say that. The, but like, when a
0: woman matures, often she matures away from wanting to poison her own brain.
1: Or, or they mature into these wine book clubs. Well,
0: Matt. okay, that's not maturing to me. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's well, they think they, maturity. they think they, they are. Think they think their
1: daily wine glass. You know, a couple glasses of wine at five o'clock is totally fine. And I honestly don't have any problem being like, well, you're just. You just have a habit, yeah. and that habit is your, ha- you
0: know... But you've had your eyes open to all of this stuff, and you're you're in it, and you're over it. You're yeah. over the drinking.
1: And I was over it, like, well before you got sober, so I, I could... Well, that's the be, thing. You know, it just was gross. I mean? think
0: there's a lot of people that are in your shoes from the standpoint that they're over it emotionally. They don't want to drink. They don't want to be around alcohol. They've seen enough to know they have seen too much. Yes. To quote A League of Their Own, one of my favorite movies. But but they're still in it from the standpoint that they, when they do socialize, they still do get that pressure. They get those looks. They get those questions. And it's it's sad and it's hard to handle. And this is part of what changing and crushing the stigma associated with alcohol and alcoholism is all about. Making it so it doesn't look funny to be at a party and not have a drink in your hand. Mm-hmm. That should be the norm. I mean, that should be accepted as as normal. Accepted as normal instead of wondering whether you're pregnant or uh, some kind of Bible beater or you've got an addiction problem. Yeah. Sometimes you don't drink because you don't want to drink and it's not necessary. We hosted an event last night that I want to talk a little bit about. It was part of this sober evolution that we're working on and trying to lead. And we called the event Sips and Giggles. And we had awesome... You bartended, so you would know all this. We had awesome non-alcoholic cocktails Mm -hmm. going on. We had the Colatatini, which was my favorite.
1: It was really good.
0: Pineapple and coconut Mm -hmm. with some soda for bubbles. And then chunks of pineapple and coconut, mm-hmm. outstanding. I also that was, was really a good. big fan of the blueberry mint Uh, mm-hmm. and we had a few others, but they were delicious. They were adult looking. They were they were elegant. So you know you you the atmosphere was were oh and that so it was called sips and giggles. That was the sips. The giggles part was we had a a friend of ours that's a comedian, she's been on the podcast several times, Debbie Mm Shear. Very, very, very funny woman. She does stand-up comedy and she did a set of stand-up comedy for us at this event that we held at an art gallery. Another tip of the cap to sophistication. You made tons of delicious appetizers, a ton of variety, really beautiful and elegant. So here everyone is walking around with their little plate of food and they're balancing it on their, their cocktail cup that, you know, the cocktail is non-alcoholic, but it's, it's still fancy and elegant. And you still feel like you're in that, that kind of atmosphere. We had art and we had entertainment. We've got all of this adult stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And, but yet there was still, there was like a rawness to the room. Um, Everyone there was very polite. Everyone there, I I believe, from, you know, I talked to every single person that came in. Actually, no, there was one woman that I never talked to. And then she left early and I don't, I don't even know who it was. But talked to most everybody there. They all seemed to be eager and happy to be there, which was great. I mean, that's when you organize something, that's all you're looking for. But there was still this, this, like, underlying bit of discomfort, I don't know how to describe it exactly. It's like it's a bunch of people that are doing what they they know they should be doing. They're they're doing it right, you know. Everyone was filling the right role. They were in the right places. When I one thing that was interesting was when I asked them to move from the bar up to the rooftop deck where the comedy was going to take place, everyone actually moved. Like I said, we're going to start in about 5 minutes and 30 seconds later everyone was up on the Rooftop, and I yeah. remember thinking to myself, if this was a bar serving alcohol,
1: they'd all be online for
0: the bar. I would have had to make that announcement ten times, and it <laughs> would have, have taken fifteen minutes to get like everybody upstairs. Herding. but so so I th- you know I think everything about the atmosphere was was good. I guess is the way I'd like to say it. Mm-hmm. I, I loved the conversations that I had, the 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 kind of energy in the room. But there's still there was this like I said rawness to it this discomfort this this was a room full of people who not all of them actually some people just had never had alcohol as a big part of their life which it was nice to to get support from from people like that but most of the people in the room had suffered alcoholism either first hand or second hand and they had been around alcohol for so long years decades probably that they knew exactly how to, to move through a room full of drinkers. But they weren't really sure how to navigate a room full of non-drinkers. Mm-hmm. And they weren't really sure how loud to laugh at the jokes. And they weren't really sure how comfortable to get around a big group of strangers. I got the sense that everyone everyone wanted it so bad. They wanted this to be a really... Uh, kind of cleansing experience and, and rewarding experience, but they kind of seem to struggle to go there. Does that make so, any sense to you? Yeah.
1: So you're saying like everybody was still just a little reserved because also let's just, I'm going to say this, cause you didn't mention this. This is happening with social distancing. Yes. We had to limit how many people we could have. So it was this nice, it's, it wasn't a huge gallery, it, but it was very open and spacious. So we could have that max of people during this time of COVID. Um, mask, I think, kind of inhibit your um, facial connection. So I feel like that and because there were people that didn't really know each other unless you kind of came with these people you knew. And you were really good about trying to introduce and connect people. But I think... That just the reservedness that happened, like me, and the politeness, like you said, like it. Everybody was trying to be on their best behavior to make it to make it good. I don't
0: know. I That's think cool. you're right. I mean the 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 COVID <laughs> thing. I, I think most people who I talked to said this was the first time they had socialized.
1: Right. And I think there's a little social awkwardness and, and too. And we
0: did yeah. insist that everyone wear masks and stay apart when
1: they weren't drinking. When they weren't
0: drinking, eating. Yeah. So. For a lot of people, it was the first time they were having that kind of, you know, that awkward getting-to-know-you social mingling conversation, and they're doing it instead of from, I don't know, I've never measured it, but from a foot and a half apart, we were all consciously standing mm-hmm. five, six feet apart, mm-hmm. wearing a So you're kind of yelling at each other. It's kind of muffled because yeah, you you're trying to, to like, talk yeah. through the masks.
1: Like I, well, because we, I bartended with our friend Kelly, the nutrition addictionist that, or nutrition...
0: Addiction Nutritionist.
1: <laughs> I was like, I knew I um And we have kind of, like, cohorted... Nutrition Addictionist. I know. I like I, I'm still just a little tired That's from yesterday prep. But we've kind of cohorted together a little bit because her kids are the same age as two of our boys. So we've hung out. Right. So we felt okay, and I knew where she'd been, and we, I, you know, she knows where I've been, and right. so we've kind of cohorted a little bit so we were behind the bar together but we would try to like whisper talk you know just so that we didn't like interrupt the conversation of a person on the other side of the bar or, you know and I realized how many times I would like try to go and say something quietly and I'm like I can't so I feel like maybe, she can't hear you, when you she can't hear, yeah. right so I don't I wonder like if that had any play into it and also like one of the couples that was there we know and that was their first time out Socializing sober, yeah, as a couple.
0: That was that was so. They weren't the only ones.
1: And th- a lot just of people
0: said they hadn't been out since March because that's when quarantine started. But for a lot of people, March was only a few months into their sobriety, so they actually backed it up. The couple that you're talking about specifically, I think they are yeah, January one, January people. one. But so they hadn't been out all year yet at yeah. like date night. Like yeah. that's what they said. This is our. This is our first date yeah, night in, eight, in they the whole said the year. last
1: thing they came to to do anything social or s- together was like they quit january 1 they did our marriage retreat and then covid yeah so they f- looks like they did some camping but i think it's just really hard because if you are coming out and doing a social event you don't have like the you know, the attitude of I don't care, yeah. like I do, and you haven't lived in that comfort of it for a well, long time. I
0: think that attitude that you have of I don't care, I think that's kind of rare. And and you're right, but it's time to. I mean, mm-hmm. you built that up over years of dealing with my alcoholism and then years of me being sober and you just don't care anymore. But
1: also, like, my mom didn't drink. I mean, yeah. like, And because of my father being an alcoholic. So I feel like I maybe had that confidence of, You totally can socialize and have fun without alcohol.
0: Well, and confidence is the word that I was going for because that's the feeling that I got last night. Everyone was in the right spot. They were doing the right things. They had that drink in their hand. They had that plate of appetizers. They were tuned into the comic that was telling jokes. But there was just a lack of confidence. And that it makes me so sad. And I'm not suggesting for a second that the people that attended the event did anything wrong at all. Like, not at all. What I'm suggesting is that there's this place that's really early sobriety where you're just trying to find the strength to take the next breath. Like you literally, you don't, you don't have any desire to go out of the house. You don't have any intention to go out of the house. You're trying to keep from drinking and keep yourself alive and that's it. And then there's this state that you and I have, thank God, reached where you feel good. And, you you know, you still, there's sadness, certainly sometimes, and there's there's mood swings and there's arguments. But for the most part, you feel good and you're in a good place and you feel good about yourself and you feel good about your decisions and your life is, as much as it can be, it's on track. But in the middle, in between those stages, in between the I'm just fighting to take the next breath and I'm feeling great, life is good, there's this awkwardness. There's this, I know I don't want to go back to where I used to be. I don't want to Mm -hmm. go back to the addiction, but I have no idea where I'm going moving forward. Right. And I feel like a large percentage of our attendees last night were in that space. That lack of confidence, that lack of comfort. I want to laugh at these jokes, but I don't remember how.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to be inappropriate.
0: And yeah, you know, yeah. I don't want to be the loudest one in the room. I, you know, I just don't know how to do this. And I hear that that that's a common theme in the recovery community. And I remember that used to confuse me, but I feel like I get it a lot better now. And I don't know if I can explain it, but that feeling of, I don't know what to do. And you know, somebody well, don't somebody you think, so on the outside would say, What do you mean? You just don't drink and you you you, you eat your appetizers and you drink your collatatini and you laugh at like the jokes. What do you mean? Kind you kinda feel
1: like you've had that sense of I've been wrong before. I don't want to be wrong again. Like I thought my drinking was okay and right and then I realize it's not and I'm like this and a lot of other people aren't. So you, you really question yourself, like to what's a good it's it's an excellent
0: it's an excellent point because I know when I tried to quit drinking and I failed, I tried to continue my life exactly the same as it had been just without a beer in my hand. That's that was like the pep talk I would like give myself. Like you
1: mean you wanted to go to a baseball game with a bunch of other drunks and you were like, "I'll be your designated driver," and you're that. like, "This was awful."
0: <laughs> that was one of the worst nights of my life. Yeah, but you're right. I did that. I got invited to this game and I'm like. I am not going to let my sobriety stand in my way. I'm going. I'm going to that game. And I'll offer to drive all these guys. And it was a miserable, awful experience. Yeah. But so I've failed at sobriety in that way. And it does. It changes everything in your life. It just does. And then you you just don't know what you're supposed to do, as ridiculous as that sounds. What do you mean no. you don't know what you're supposed to do?
1: Yeah. Well, I think that you get this false sense of security and confidence with the alcohol in your hands. So you're more That's right. open to do things more exaggeratively. I mean, I know if I would be in a crowd with a bunch of people, I wouldn't know. I'm sure that, you know, 15 years ago, if I had had a couple of cocktails in me, and it was like some, you know dare or silly like sort of you know minute to win it game like I would be okay doing it but if I did it when I didn't have a couple cocktails in me around a bunch of people I didn't know that would be really hard and awkward and
0: absolutely Absolutely. the false confidence of alcohol Mm -hmm. you know I say this all the time and I write this all the time and it's not my it's not my quote like it's not attributed to me I don't know who it is attributed to I think it's pretty common Saying, if you want the change, you've got to be the change. And I give the folks that were at this event last night a ton of credit for that. Many of them that were in that in-between period of not being exactly sure what to do, but they showed up mm-hmm. and they they made a donation to our nonprofit as an entry fee, basically, to show up. And they. Got you know they put on nice nice looking clothes like they were going out for the night you know mm-hmm. there were some lovely dresses and I don't know how to describe it it was they weren't going to sit on the couch in their bathrobe like you they,
1: mean in the ripped, sane t-shirt like their ripped same t shirt like people did their hair
0: shorts. I saw makeup like I saw all this stuff that you don't see makeup above COVID. the
1: elfro eyes only ladies <laughs> don't make up your face it rubs off on your
0: ass yeah yeah
1: so I only yeah that was funny I did half of makeup.
0: I didn't realize you had thought that through. That's smart.
1: Well, I I had been practicing it with like being, you know, at the church and like videos and stuff, and I'm like, well my makeup just comes off. So like I should just figure out a way to like
0: better skin. We had a (laughs) bunch of people who did their makeup from their nose up. Yeah. And got dressed up. So (coughs) if the idea is that if you want the change, you've got to be the change, it was a bunch of people that were trying. And even though there was this sense that I got, anyway, maybe I'm the only one that read it this way, but I got this sense of a lack of confidence and I got this little bit of a sense of awkwardness or I don't know exactly Timid. where I'm supposed to be. Seems like I don't know exactly weird. what I'm supposed to do. They showed up
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I was so, so proud of that. I I think I told you last night, I made some mistakes with the things that I said and it, like if I it's one of those things, if I had to do over again, I would do a bunch of things differently and I know exactly what I would do and it would be so much better. But I still didn't come away in any way disappointed. I came away like really, really, really proud of not of myself but of the group that showed up. Maybe we should send
1: out a an email to the people that came and tell them how proud and we are that they showed up to make a change. It's
0: a great idea. Absolutely. You know? Because we gotta bolster keep some
1: confidence, right?
0: But my question to you around this topic is Does this make you angry or disgusted? Like when you think of the fact that you've got people who are so programmed into this is what socializing looks like. You drink this IPA and then you slur and breathe in somebody's face. But don't worry, they won't notice the sour smell because they're drinking an IPA too. Does that make you sad that that's what we've come to? When we talk about socializing, it's this gross thing.
1: Well, you first ask, like, does it make you mad? It doesn't make me mad because I am very aware of marketing that goes on.
0: All the money that's involved.
1: All the money that in advertising and marketing and of, of alcoholic beverages. I mean, just having, um, you know, being shelter in place. And all the rampant deliveries of alcohol and like the restaurants will like deliver the drink or you can pick up the drink because that's part of the restaurant experience is having those cocktails. You know, all of that. And then there's like a new one that has just cans of cocktails all ready to go pre mix. You know, like just the manipulation that they do on the consumer. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't make me mad. It doesn't shock me. It makes me sick and sad that we have fallen into their trap.
0: Yeah. Because, yeah.
1: But if that's what your society is pushing. Then you have. you, You know. It's really hard to come out of that. And because there is such a. I think in general. I think that we have such low self-esteem. And low. You know. Confidence levels in ourselves. That we just get that false sense of security. And confidence. That comes with this. And I'm going to use your word, this elixir that just makes everything so much better, so much funnier. I'm a, such a great dancer when I'm drinking, you know, and you, and you program that from very early on.
0: What about as the wife of an alcoholic? I mean, you gave a very good overview, kind of a societal viewpoint uh, of, of anybody in society who has opened their eyes and recognized mm-hmm. the scourge that alcohol mm-hmm. really is. But what about as the, the wife, of the, as the spouse of an alcoholic? Was that setting last night more comfortable than being in a setting full of drinkers?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think...
0: not. Was it because you, were, you weren't worried that I was going to relapse? If we had been at a bar, you'd be worried that I was going to relapse? Or is it this, no, the overall atmosphere?
1: Well, I was just, just going to say, like, it's very comfortable for me to be in a setting where there isn't any alcohol. And to be conversing with people where there isn't any alcohol that isn't just necessarily business related, um, so that made me very comfortable. Um, and it, I wasn't, I it wasn't because I was worried you would relapse. I think it was kind of like we talked on our Echoes of Recovery call this last week, um, because that happened on Wednesday. We had the event on Thursday and I realized the quote was like something about I see dead people, but instead I see addicts or addiction. And then that led to, uh, then when I see people drinking a drink at a restaurant, I wonder, Oh, what kind of, what kind of crap, crazy life do you have outside of this restaurant? You looking normal. So I think that. I didn't realize that my mind went there a lot of times when we were in places where people were drinking. Yeah. So I just felt so much safer. I don't know if safer is the right word, but so much safer and secure in the fact that there was no alcohol to be consumed. Um, not necessarily for you, Matt, exactly, but just anybody else. Like, Because then I would feel... You know, then I would wonder, wonder okay, they had two or three here, but then who's going home and downing a bunch and drinking more at home, or how many did they have before they got here, and
0: And what spouse has to deal with this. Yeah, what
1: spouse, or what child, or what parent, I mean, or even just a roommate, you know, has to deal with your alcoholic behavior.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you, you brought up the Echoes of Recovery group. I think we sh- I think this is a good place to mention that um, it, it is a it is a place to ha- to share those I've kind of thoughts. Like I see dead people, <laughs> which was hilarious. I see dead people. I see drinking people all around yeah, me. Yeah, I see addicts, and I wonder what they're doing. I wonder what the truth true story is behind it. Right. But if you're in one of those situations, if you are the loved one of an alcoholic. And you're looking for connection. That's what we offer in Echoes of Recovery. It's, it's a, a healing process. It's empathy. It's compassion for people who've been through this as the secondhand drinker and are trying to find a way out and trying to find a way to heal, whether their loved one alcoholic is still drinking or they've stopped drinking or if they've even you know split and are no longer with that person. We've got a lot of people that are in your same situation, understand your situation and want to share with you. Be mutually helpful. So if you want to check it out, if that's a situation you're in, please do so. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.com E-C-H-O-E-S of recovery.com When I think about the kind of stereotypical angle on this that certainly there are, there's an increasing number of women that are battling alcoholism and I get that. But often the, the old school problem was the man is the drinker the man is the alcoholic and the woman is the spouse who has to deal with it. I also heard a comment sometime in the last couple of weeks that some, somebody said, um, I don't know why all women aren't lesbians with the number of men that are out there drinking like how do you even find a sober guy and so i thought of that last night when we're in this room full of uh sober people of of both sexes lots Mm -hmm. of men and lots of women and not a drop of alcohol to be found i think that that was a uh you know a, a a play a safe place where you you didn't just wonder why every woman wasn't just turned off and alienated and spiteful and hateful of of all men because we certainly have a propensity to make it difficult to love us and mm-hmm. be around us. Mm-hmm. Is that fair to say?
1: Sure, but I'm sure that there are some women out there that
0: there are. I just love their that. wine. I just love that, you that wine. Just that. You I don't, don't just know why to work all that women that are in. lesbians. Yeah, well, I wrote it. Down I mean, even
1: you know. I'm, you know, men, they're just, I don't know. Some people like the the hair that comes with men and, <laughs> you know.
0: Are you in body hair.
1: No. Like, that's why you have your own bathroom. Oh. So you can keep your body hair down there. You know, because you don't clean up after yourselves either, so that's part of it. Um, most of the time, but, yeah, I thought that, I thought it was just very... I think because it's so new and so coming out of COVID, social setting, so many people were new. The lack of the fake confidence was there. And also, you know, like you said, you didn't want to beat yourself up, but there were things we could do different next time. we're going to do it again. Yeah.
0: We're going to do it again soon. Like
1: have some fun things to do like around the gallery and well, because you also don't know the, the level of openness that people might have to doing some you know, some, you don't want to set up events. This was just kind of like an introduction. This was a sips and giggles light sort of thing, you know?
0: Well, I I made the joke afterwards that we were on the rooftop deck of this art gallery. Mm -hmm. The art gallery has a nice sound system in the gallery itself, but there's no speakers. There's no sound system up on the the top so we brought a karaoke machine mm-hmm. so that we would have a microphone and amplification
1: For our and
0: karaoke machine this one automatically has changing colors like like hey it's a party now it's purple now it's red now it's green you know and i, w- I was standing in the back of the back of the deck back of the room while debbie was telling jokes and i was laughing watching, like getting this sense that I described where there was just kind of a lack of confidence in the room, a lack of feeling good, this in-between, I don't know where I should be or what I should be doing from everybody that was there. And I was like, boy, it would be great if after Debbie gets done telling jokes, if I said, all right, now the karaoke starts. (laughs) What sober person wants to get up here and sing a Whitney Houston song, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. You would be having people run down the run down the stairs oh they would have been She's out of there exits. so
0: fast as either a singer or a listener i think it would have been so awkward to either i don't think anyone would have gotten up there well, and and that's the thing mic, is, like, but if they did who we don't know what. anyway
1: we don't know what to like do you know because we're all just kind of lost in trying to figure out how to socialize sober
0: that's exactly and right what's fun that's exactly right. And you can do that in situations where everyone else in the room is drinking. That's not particularly fun. Sour, spitty. Yeah. Slurry breath. Breath isn't slurry, but you know what I'm saying. Right. Or you but can think... or you can do it in a situation where it's a room full of people that are sober and and there's still that learning curve trying to feel it right. out kind and of And other
1: than like other than wanting to socialize sober if you didn't know people there, you didn't really have anything in common with. So how do you spark up a conversation? Yeah, I mean,
0: absolutely. So we'll have to
1: do it again soon, and we'll have we've caught up come up with some good ideas.
0: Well, I think the the big takeaway is that this mission is of value. I mean, we can see the value all around. It's it's sad in one on one hand that um, there's awkwardness involved in being in a situation where nobody's drinking and that's got to go away that's that's all part of this crushing the stigma we, we got to make it so um, your comfort doesn't come in a 12 ounce glass in your hand your comfort comes from um, you know just being in a room full of like minded people and we got work to do and that's why we're so glad to have you all as listeners we're glad to have you on this journey with us Helping us figure it out because it's hard for us, and we do this twenty four seven. Like this is we're in it. This is our job. This is what we do. And I can't imagine how hard it is for people that are just just trying to figure it out and keep their day jobs. But keep going. Keep going with us. Keep listening. Keep supporting. And uh, most of all, when you see an opportunity to create the change you want, you got to be there. You got to show up you got to be part of that change. We, uh, we also will make a plug as we leave here. We're going to next, or this, this week, when this podcast comes out, it'll be this week. We are starting our book launch team. And we would love to have you be a part of our book launch team. We'll talk more about it on next week's podcast episode. But you can also get details at soberandunashamed.com. We're looking for people who um, want to read an advanced copy of our our book, Sober Evolution, that comes out on September 23rd. We'll get the, the advanced copy to you pretty much right away. And then when our book comes out, we're hoping to get a review from you, an honest review. We don't care what you write. We just want you to write something on Amazon about what you think of the book. So again, more information at SoberAndUnashamed.com and more information on the Untoxicated podcast. When we are on with you again next week. For my wife, Sherry Salis, my name is Matt Salis, and we thank you for listening.